Good morning. Bill and Jen. Come on down. There's one for you. Welcome, Bill. Did I get a hug? Yeah. He, you hesitated. What, how am I supposed to feel about that? Oh, thank you. I feel so much better. There you go. All right, you guys can have a seat. You guys give them another hand. Um, Bill and Jen have decided to join the church, and so we like to make a big deal out of that, um, which we study the Bible with everybody that, that comes to the crossings. Uh, sometimes people are Christians, sometimes they're not. Uh, but we, we want to get to know every single person that comes to our church. We want to make sure everybody's taken care of. And for those that are new believers, we especially want to make sure that our congregation knows what's going on. Because our job, if we've been walking with Jesus for a while, hey guys, I'm getting a real loud echo down here. I don't know how it sounds out there. Um, our job as older believers and, and older brothers and sisters is to take care of those younger than us. So when somebody comes to faith, we especially want to make a big deal out of that because we have a job to take care of that little brother or sister. They're, they're babies. They're just getting started if they're just coming to faith. Now, Bill and Jen have been walking with the Lord for a while, so we're not necessarily calling them babies. But guys, we want to make sure we're a healthy church, right? Amen? Amen. All right. Now, a lot of you guys out there, you are spiritual babies. You did just come to Christ in the last year or two. That's part of why the crossings is so fun. Because you guys understand, this is not a typical church, right? You guys get that? Okay. It's not. Uh, typically, you don't have a whole bunch of new believers in a church. Typically, you don't have a bunch of first-generation Christians in a church. Typically, the, 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 there's one color in a church. You guys get that, right? Um, we're blessed here. I love coming to the crossings on Sundays because when I look around, I see a reflection of the kingdom of God. I see a, a group of people who don't all look the same, who don't all come from the same background, who don't all make the same amount of money, who the world doesn't all look at uh, the same because you're so different. But that's exactly why the kingdom of God is so exciting. Because it's made up of a lot of different kinds of people that come from different kinds of backgrounds and that God can use to do all kinds of different things. And so it's exciting for me to get to come here and be with you on Sundays. We're continuing a, a series here called To Be Continued. We choose a theme every year uh, at the crossings based on what we believe the needs of the congregation are. And one of the things we believe we need to wrap our minds around is that we are a continuation of the story of the church that we read about in the Bible. Whenever we read the book of Acts, we're reading our own history. Whenever we think about continuing the ministry of what they were doing, we are continuing the same ministry of what they were doing in the first century. We trace our lineage back to Jesus Christ. We believe he's king. We believe he's Lord. We believe he's God. And we believe uh, the best life that we can have is wrapped up in, in how well we relate to him as his subjects and as his children. So we've been talking about this idea of the kingdom of God the last several weeks because of this theme that we're in. Uh, when you study the book of Acts and you study the New Testament, one of the things that showed up frequently on the lips of the people who were following Jesus was this idea of the kingdom, this idea of the kingdom of God. This, this was something that was frequently taught uh, by Jesus, where he's speaking about these things. So we want to get clarity on the concept of this biblical teaching around the kingdom of God and, and, and this idea that we are continuing the ministry of what we see in the Bible. And so that's why we chose our theme this year. Um, and just quick review, guys. What does kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven mean? The royal reign of God. Now, this is one of those things that I just want ingrained in our hearts. Whenever you see the phrase kingdom of God in the Bible, whenever you see the phrase kingdom of heaven... It's not talking about an earthly kingdom. It's not just talking about the church. It's not just talking about heaven. A better way to understand kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God in the Bible is to understand that as the royal reign of God that starts in your heart. If you say you're a part of the kingdom of God, 
what you're saying is I'm a person who lives with Jesus Christ as my king. You cannot say you're part of the kingdom of God and not give a crap about what Jesus says about living life. It doesn't work like that. You can't say you're part of the kingdom of God and then pay no attention to what the Bible teaches. It doesn't work like that. You can't say you're part of the kingdom of God and have no connection to a local church. It doesn't work like that. There are expectations and there are teachings that God gives us about, his expect, about how to live as a kingdom person, right? And so there's demands placed on our life. But let me tell you something, guys. The best life you can have, the absolute best life you can have, is wrapped up in how you relate to God, period. If you can learn to relate to God the way that God teaches us to, you know, when we do that, we're, we're just doing what God designed us to do. He created us. Whenever we live life the way God says it's meant to be lived, we have the best life that we can have. How many of you guys want to have the best life possible? Anybody get up this morning and say, man, I wish life was worse. <laughs> Did you get up this morning and say, nobody says that. I wish life was terrible today. No, you want a good life, right? How many of you want protection in life? You just want to be unprotected, okay? We're just, we're just gonna, we're just gonna throw it, we're just gonna let all tragedy happen, right? Nobody says that. We understand that that's gonna happen, but nobody yearns for it. Guys, the best protection the best wisdom, the best direction. Guys, Jesus gives us the best. Whenever we decide to be part of his kingdom, he gives us the very best tools that we can have to have the very best life, the very best relationships, the very best friendships, the very best everything when we live as his, as his subjects. And so um, we're going to continue to look at some of this teaching about being a subject of Jesus, about the kingdom of Jesus. Uh, and we're going to look at a parable out of Matthew 13 today. We're going to look at uh, this comparison Jesus makes of the kingdom of God to a mustard seed and also to some leaven or yeast. And we'll kind of pull out our application from there. So, Mike, if you don't mind, read uh, Matthew 13, 31 through 33 for us. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it has grown. It is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. Okay. Um, real quick side note here, okay? What has to happen for seed to grow? It has to be sown, first of all. So I'm not going to harp on that a whole bunch. We just looked at the parable of the soils. Uh, Jesus frequently makes allusion to agriculture as an illustration. Uh, the seed frequently is used as the word of God. The word of God has to be shared in order for it to have an effect. I just want to say that off the bat, Okay. The word of God's got to be shared in order for it to have an effect. Here the seed has got to be sown. Now Jesus uses um, a couple of illustrations here in what is called a prophetic parable. And we say this is a prophetic parable because Jesus is going to say, hey, here's what my kingdom is like, but here's what it's also going to be like in the future. It's starting out this way, but here's where it's going to go. And he uses this illustration of a little bitty mustard seed that's going to grow into this large garden plant that's eventually going to become a tree. And then he uses the illustration of this little bit of yeast, uh, and, and he makes some application there. You've got some notes in your bulletin. If you want to pull those out, it's going to have some space for you to take a note or two. It's also going to have most of the scriptures we're going to look at on there. And the first blank, uh, based on this parable, is number one, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom of heaven will start very small. The kingdom of heaven on earth will start really small. That's the point that he's making, is it's like a mustard seed. Um, if I had a 12-ounce can of Coke up here, guys, 
has anybody in here dealt with mustard seeds? Okay. Uh, if I had a mustard seed in my hand, it, I mean, I could put one on the tip of my finger and you would not be able to really make out that there was anything on my finger. You can put about 250,000 mustard seeds in a can of Coke. So they're really, really small. Now, technically, there are some seeds that are smaller, okay? Um, but in Jesus' day at this time, probably this would have been about the smallest thing available to them that they would have been familiar with. Uh, and it, it does grow into a pretty impressive plant. You know, you got this little bitty, bitty seed, but when you plant it and when you cultivate it and when you take care of it, man, it may grow to, you know, three to five feet tall, which for such a small thing... That's impressive. That's a major difference. Guys, yeast is the same way. Uh, we got a lot of people in here that like to bake. It does not take much yeast to leaven a batch of dough, right? Doesn't take much. It takes a little bitty pinch. The point that Jesus is making as he's teaching his followers about the kingdom is the kingdom that I'm starting is going to start out really, really, really tiny. It's going to be really, really, really insignificant. Um, the Bible says of Jesus back in Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, verse 2, it says Jesus had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. It had, he had nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Guys, Jesus was just kind of an average guy. He didn't look special. Like, you, you, you weren't going to take a whole lot out of him. You, know, you weren't going like to pick him out of a crowd as someone that's especially good-looking or especially uh, charismatic looking, like he just looks like a leader, like you wouldn't have picked him out of the crowd. Now, in the first century, there was an expectation among the Jews who knew the Bible that someday a king was going to come. Uh, if, if you grew up reading the Old Testament like they did, there were all these prophecies that someday... God is going to send somebody to our people who's going to be a king unlike any other king. He's going to have a kingdom that's unlike any other kingdom. He's going to rule in such a way that's unlike any other rule. He's going to smite all of his enemies. There's not going to be anybody that can stand against him. This king someday is going to come. He's going to be among you. Okay. So there's this expectation in the first century in Jesus' day about this king that is someday going to come. Guys, do you realize... In the first century, when, when they were thinking the king is going to come, they thought the king is going to come and he's going to fight the Romans. The king is going to come and he's going to fight our enemies. The king is going to come and he's going to have an army. He's going to have a palace. He's going to have guards. He's going to have, uh, you know, all the stuff that kings have, right? But then this little baby is born in a manger. That's not the kind of king that they were expecting. I went and spoke at a, a youth event a few years ago, and I was trying to get the kids that were in the audience to understand this idea that Jesus was not who they were expecting. And I got a, I, I got a list of the top 10 most expensive cars in the world, right? And I showed the kids, I said, okay, I want to show you guys the best cars in the world. And I said, if the king of the world were coming to this planet, which of these 10 cars would he drive? And we walked through and we looked at the Lambo. We looked at the Maserati. We looked at the Rolls Royce. We looked at all the fancy cars, right? There was one that was like 3 million bucks. It's the most expensive car in the world. It's crazy. It goes like 250 miles an hour or something crazy, right? Like that's the one the king would drive. And so I got all the kids to argue about which car the king would drive out of the 10, right? And they all picked one, and then I showed them a picture of an old beater truck. You guys remember the show, The Dukes of Hazard? Remember Uncle Jesse? Remember his truck? I think I showed him an Uncle Jesse truck, right? <laughs> and what I explained to him was, while you would expect the king of the world to be driving the Maserati, in reality, when the king of the world came into the picture, he was more like the guy who would drive the Uncle Jesse truck. Right? When I think about the king of the world and how he would be dressed, I think about the, 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 
the garb and like the, the train of the robe and like the, the little military pendants and the sword and set. You know, I think about like the elaborate, wow, there's the king. But then I think in reality, no, he didn't have any of that stuff. He had a freaking tool belt. Like, he swings a hammer? Really? Are we sure we got this right? Guys, do you, did anybody in the world see the king of the universe making the entrance in the way that he made it? You guys realize Jesus came into the world, nobody expected that kind of king. Why? Because it's humble. Because when you think king, do you think humble? When you think king, do you think quiet? Obscure? No, you think king, right? That's what, how we think. That's not what he. It's not what he did. He came into the world quietly. He was born in a manger. He was born to a poor family. He was born in a poor nation under sub, the subject uh, subjected to harsh treatment of Roman rule. Like it, this was completely unexpected. This was completely humble. That's what he did. He's the unexpected, humble seed of the kingdom of God. That's Jesus Christ. He's the mustard seed. You're not going to see what's coming. He's the mustard seed. In Luke 17, Jesus explains the kingdom to some people. We've looked at this a couple of times, but it bears repeating. In Luke 17, 20 and 21, Jesus says to this group of religious people who are waiting on the king to come. They didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus says, God's kingdom is coming, but not in the way that you'll be able to see with your eyes. It's not going to be in a palace. It's not going to be with an army. It's not going to be with governmental decrees and pomp and circumstance. It's not going to be like that. People will not say, look, God's kingdom is here or there it is. Jesus goes on. He says, no, God's kingdom is within you. Guys, what is the kingdom of God? It's the royal reign of God. If you are part of the kingdom of God in your heart, you're saying God is my king. That's what you're saying. If you are not part of the kingdom of God in your heart, you are saying something else is your king. That's the difference. That's the only difference. Jesus taught that God's kingdom was about the heart. It's not about palaces. It's not about armies. It's not about borders. It's not about a capital. It's not about clothing. It is about your loyalty. Period. It is about your obedience. Period. It is about your desire in your heart to honor God as God. Period. It's not about a whole bunch of other stuff. Jesus began his public ministry preaching about the kingdom of heaven and inviting people to live under the reign of God. In Matthew 3.17, he started his ministry saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And he built the kingdom. Guys, when we talk about being a kingdom builder, all a kingdom builder is is somebody who invites others to live under the rule of Jesus. That's it. Anytime you persuade somebody that living under the, uh, under the lordship of Jesus is the best way to live life, you've just built the kingdom of God. Because you've helped another person submit their heart to the king. And the kingdom of God is all about the heart. And our job between now and when Jesus comes back is to persuade people to follow the king. To persuade people to honor the king with their life. Why? Because that's how they're going to have the best life they can have. That's how they're going to have the best marriage. That's how they're going to raise the best kids. That's how they're going to be able to deal with conflict. That's how they're going to be able to deal with tragedy. Guys, you are not going to be saved from trouble in life. Take it to the bank. You're going to deal with crap in life. But what God will do is he will equip you to deal with it the very best way you can. And he will take care of you ultimately, in the end, where you're not going to have any of it to mess with. He's going to take it out back and whip its butt. You just need to submit to the king. But he's going to work all this junk out. 
Our job is just to be in submission to him, period. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. Now, you can fake it. Coming to church does not mean you're a member of God's kingdom. Coming to church just means you came to church, right? Uh, Standing in my car or in my garage does not make me a car. Standing in a church building does not make you a Christian. You want to know what what makes you a Christian? The commitment you're making that you're living out, is Jesus king of my life or not? Is Jesus king in my heart? When I get up in the morning... Who's in charge? Am I submitting to Jesus or am I just, am I my own king? (coughs) Very, very simple. You've got to follow Jesus. And he had a humble beginning, guys. He was this unexpected king. He had all this unexpected teaching, right? Not what you would expect from the king of the universe. But the more you get to know him, the more you kind of start seeing stuff like this coming. (laughs) He turns stuff on its head. He really does. Secondly, okay, so the first thing is the kingdom's going to start really small. You guys get that. Secondly, Jesus teaches us the kingdom of heaven will grow over time. Remember, when he shared this parable, they were just getting started. They were just getting started. But he says, we're not going to stay small. It's going to start in humility, but it's not going to stay small. It's not going to stay that humble. Someday it's going to be glorious. Uh, So there's going to be this growth in number, and there's there's growth in strength and influence. As Jesus made disciples, this is really important, okay? As Jesus made disciples, as Jesus persuaded others to follow Jesus, God as their king, guess what he did with them? Guess what he taught them to do? He taught them to be kingdom builders too. And this is really important, right? Jesus was a builder of the kingdom of God, and anytime he grabbed somebody's hand and said, hey, come along, and they said, okay, he made those people builders of the kingdom of God too. And he hasn't stopped, Right? We still, whenever we become kingdom people, become builders of the kingdom of God. Guys, this is just part of the heart of Jesus. When you think about how Jesus related to people, when you think about how he interacted, in Luke 19.10, it says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It says in Matthew, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was constantly thinking about others. He was constantly thinking about the lost. He was constantly looking around and seeing the hurting and the outcast and putting his hands on them, touching them, giving them love and relationship and healing, right? He was constantly bringing people into fellowship with one another and with God. And he taught the guys that walked around with him and the ladies that walked around with him to be the same way. See, when you start following the kingdom builder, he makes you a kingdom builder. When you start following Jesus as your king, he he gives you orders to go out and love people. One of the things that we've got to wrap our minds around as we become people of faith is that it ain't about me. It's not about me. When I become a disciple of Jesus, when I give the Lord my life in baptism, Jesus takes the wheel. It ceases just to be about me. If I am so self-obsessed that I can't look and see the people around me and their hurts and their needs, I've got to get over self so that I can see clearly. And I need Jesus' help to do that. I need my own mess taken care of by the Lord so that I can turn around and help other people with theirs. But i got to get that help first, right? But the king can take care of all that. He can take care of it. And he states that helping the kingdom grow was part of his purpose for coming to earth. In Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of God's kingdom in other cities too. 
For this is why I was sent. So in the first century, Jesus went around preaching about the kingdom, inviting people to become kingdom people, to become God followers. He was a kingdom builder everywhere he went. Again, building the kingdom is simply calling people to follow Jesus. That's all that means. Whenever you call people to follow Jesus and to honor Jesus with their lives, you build the kingdom of God as people submit to him as king. And Jesus also recruited others to help him build the kingdom. In Mark 1, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will what? I will send you out to fish for people, or I will make you fishers of men. Right? Uh, at once they left their nets and followed him. So Jesus takes these fishermen, and then he teaches them to go out and fish for people. Right to make disciples, to call others to follow Jesus. They became kingdom builders. Jesus formed a group of kingdom builders. In Luke 8, he spread the good news about God's kingdom. The 12 apostles were with him. Also some women were with him. They had been cured from evil spirits and various illnesses. He had this group of 12 that he paid special attention to. There was also a group of women that followed closely. Uh, anybody here watching The Chosen? Quite a few. If you haven't watched The Chosen, it's free. I highly recommend it. It's historically very well done. Uh, the stories are very well done. The biblical accuracy where they have Bible to inform things is very well done. What The Chosen does, it's, it's a story about Jesus and the Twelve uh, and these women that travel around doing the ministry. I like it because it humanizes the, the individuals that are present where you don't just think of these as like far off figures you could never be like. These are people that I'm like, you know, when I watch that show. And I think you will think that too. Um, but you will see in the chosen Jesus training the people that he's with to be kingdom builders. You will see the closeness of relationship that they had in that show. This wasn't just like a formal Bible class. This wasn't a religious kind of thing. This was relationally driven, friendship driven, ministry together. Kind of like what we do, try to do here, right? We get to be friends together, we become like family, and we go out and just love people together. That's really kind of what we try to do at the crossings. Um, we get that from right here, what we see with Jesus. Jesus is passionate about calling people to obey God, that is building the kingdom, and he is passionate about helping others learn to persuade the world to, to follow God too. And so that's what he does. That's how he spends his time. And he invests in these 12. He invests in these others. By the time you get to the book of Acts, this little small group had, you know, it had gone up and down. Numbers had vacillated. Jesus was killed. Then he rose from the dead. Uh, there's a group of about 120 by the time you get to the beginning of Acts. It says, during this time, the family of believers was a company of about 120 persons. But then when you get to chapter 2, and then later, that little number of 120 jumps up to 3,000 in Acts 2. It's at 5,000 by Acts 4. Uh, estimates are the Jerusalem church had probably grown to about 20,000 within a short amount of time after that. Um, and man, it was just kind of started blowing up from there. And so Jesus predicted this. He said, this kingdom is going to start really small. It's going to start really small. Matter of fact, it's just going to start with me. Right? He's the mustard seed. But then over time, it's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. And we see this in the Bible. But guys, we see this in our lives, right? Right? Uh, are there 120 Christians today? Are there 3,000 today? Are there 5,000 today? There's a little bit more than that, okay? A little bit more than that. Um, that moves us to number three, okay? Jesus teaches us in this parable, the kingdom of heaven will overshadow all other kingdoms. The kingdom of heaven will eventually overshadow all other kingdoms. In Matthew 13, 32, when it has grown, when it has grown, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Talking about the mustard seed, right? The mustard seed starts out really, really small, really, really humble. 
Really, really uh, not much to it at all. But then over time, it grows into this tree. And it grows big enough that birds can come and like find shelter in it, right? It, it goes from one thing that's very, very small and insignificant to this other thing that's very, very large um, and, and a blessing. Currently, guys, there are 1.34 billion Christians globally. 1.34 billion. Now, that's just people that mark it on the census. Jesus will work out who actually belongs on the census and who doesn't. Okay, we're not going to get into that. That's above our pay grade. But this is who uh, marks on the census that they're Christians. 18% of the global population, right? Uh, this is a little less right now than the population of China. So China uh, is the largest country in the world, still uh, a few people more than, uh, than the Christian population, but that will change probably in our generation where the largest group of people on planet Earth is going to be people that say they're Christians. Um, the influence of the Christian Bible is also something that is insane when you look at uh, the world. Uh, there has never been a book that has sold nearly as many copies as the Christian Bible. It's the most widely spread, best-selling book of all time. There have been more than 5 billion copies of the Christian Bible distributed or sold. As of 2022, the full Bible has been translated into over 700 languages uh, the New Testament has been translated into over 1,600 languages. Uh, it is currently being translated into a couple thousand more languages. And I didn't even know there was that many languages. I don't know if you did. Guys, we have missionaries that are going overseas to indigenous people groups who don't know how to read and don't have an alphabet. And they are learning their language. They are then crafting an alphabet for them and teaching them how to read their newly invented alphabet so that we can give them Bibles. Did you know that's happening? All over the world. Guess who else is doing that? Nobody. Just Christians. The, the Muslims believe you can't read the Quran outside of Arabic. So they don't bother to translate it for any. There's nothing like the Bible when it comes to uh, the distribution and, and just the amount of passion and everything that's going into that. Still being worked on. I've got friends that do that work. Okay. Um, there's also to take into account the influence of the Christian church on education, technology, and world governments. And we're not going to get into this uh, super in-depth, but guys, the influence of the Christian church as a missionary movement over the last 2,000 years has led to, uh, well, how many of you in here go to school? I would say 100%. Guess why you have a school? Because of the Christian church. The modern education system has its roots in the Christian church and missionary movements and people going and teaching people about the word of God. That's what led to your school that you sit in. Um, technology. How many of you have a cell phone this morning? Okay, how many of you watched something on a screen this week? You want to know why you have a cell phone and why you have a screen? Because Christians invented the media that led to those technologies. And they invented that media so that they could share the word of God with people. The printing press was invented to print Bibles. It led to a technological revolution and a dissemination of ideas that was unlike anything the world had ever seen. Why? Because of the kingdom of God. The modern medicine system, the, the medical system, <laughs> hospitals. Do you know uh, where the modern healthcare system came from? It came from Christians who were trying to heal people so that they could tell them the word of God. Like there's so much about just everyday life that you don't even realize 
systems that are in place, ideas that are in place, industries that are in place, technologies that are in place, all of this stuff is in place. It was built by people who were doing it to build the kingdom of God. When Jesus said, we're going to start out as a mustard seed, but then over time it's going to turn into this thing you didn't see coming. By the time we get to the end of our lives, guys, if, if God just gives us a vision of all the ways he influenced our everyday life, it would just blow our minds. It would blow our minds. This parable was true. What Jesus said, if you just go study the history of it, guys, what Jesus said is this little thing will start out really small, but then it's going to turn into this big, that's what happened. And you want to know what's crazy? He's not done. We're in the middle of it. We're just seeing it unfold. We get to participate in it. He ain't done. Um, in John 14, 12, look at this. Jesus, he tells his disciples who were worried about him leaving because he's like, hey, I'm about to go. And they were like, we don't want you to go. And Jesus is like, no, you need me to go because I'm going to send the counselor and then you guys are going to do even cooler stuff, right? He says in John 14, 12, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do, excuse me, will do the works I've been doing. And then look at this. And they will do what? They will do greater things than these. Because I'm going to the Father. Is anybody else bothered when they read that, that word from Jesus? I, I remember as a young Christian being a little bothered when I'd come across this. So I'm sitting here reading the book of John, you know, trying to follow God. Like, show me, show me what I need to know, God. And then I get to this passage where Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than me. That kind of bothered me a little bit. Right? But I think Jesus had this vision of the kingdom in mind when he made that statement because he understood he was just getting something started in his day and he was going to invite others to come along the ride with him and he was going to teach them to go out and invite others to come along on the ride. That's that whole idea of making disciples. But over time, this thing going to get crazy. Right? Now, you want to know what's cool, guys? You and I are here today because we have inherited a ministry that was passed down to us over the last 2,000 years. We have walked into something that others have fought and bled and died for. Guys, do you realize people died so that we could have a Bible to read in our own language? Do you realize people fought wars over that? And literally bled and died so that you and I could have a Bible in our hand. We just kind of, we just inherit all these blessings. We don't even think about it. But guys, we're part of this story that started as a little bitty mustard seed. And I don't know where exactly we are yet. But I can tell you, we are somewhere in the growth of this tree, in this parable that Jesus is talking about, and you want to know what our job is? Our job is to help that tree be to be healthy that's growing. Our job is to help that kingdom be healthy that's growing. Our job is to be disciples who make disciples. Our job is to be kingdom citizens who persuade others to become kingdom citizens. That's all it is. And it's amazing the fulfillment and, and just the joy that comes from knowing you're working alongside Jesus Christ and building the kingdom. You guys realize we planted this church uh, about five years ago, right? With a few people. A lot of you guys have come in, you've joined, a lot of you have become Christians. Uh, we're in the middle of an expansion now. Uh, we're, it's going to be done in a couple of weeks. We're going to be able to start using those classrooms. That's going to be awesome. Then we can start looking at some of the other stuff we've got going on. Guys, we've got a church in the city. We've got uh, a church in O'Fallon. We've got a church in Columbia. And by the end of this year, we're going to be planting another church somewhere else. Or picking a team, I should say. We'll plant it next year. 
We'll send them out, I think, next year. But we're going to pick the team this year that's going to plant another church. Right? You guys know why we plant churches? Because typically, new church plants reach more lost people than churches that have been around a long time. We plant churches because we believe God wants to reach people while they're lost. And we believe God wants to use us to do that. So we intentionally move into communities where we believe we can plant an effective church and reach a bunch of lost people. And we go into those communities not trying to get a bunch of people from other churches to come to our church. We go into those communities trying to find people that don't know anything about God or the Bible that just want a better life. And we go and try to help them connect the dots that this is the way to a better life. It's Jesus Christ. That's, our, that's what we do. That's like our bread and butter. We do campus ministry. We do teen ministry. We do uh, adult small groups. We, do, we try to do them really well. And that's kind of what we're focused on. And what we believe God has called us to do uniquely at the crossings in order to join him in this kingdom building effort is we believe we are to plant healthy churches all over the place to the best of our ability. And so that's what we work to do. But you guys realize we are part of this prophetic vision of Jesus because we're not the only ones trying to do this. There are other people that love God and that love people. They're trying to do the same thing we're doing in their context. There are people doing this in other parts of the world, like other countries where their church services look way different and their songs sound way different, right? But we serve the same God and we have the same passion for seeing people to connect to Jesus Christ. And so it's exciting. It's fun. It's fulfilling. You want to have the best life you can have, man? Join Jesus in what he's doing in the world and just go get to work. That's how you can have the very best life. Being a kingdom builder and a kingdom man or a kingdom woman is amazing. And guys, don't forget, Jesus says, you're going to do even greater things than I did. I had a ministry over here and we reached this. But you guys, you have this opportunity to do this. And I'm just going to be standing in heaven clapping. Right? That's Jesus. He loves you and he wants to give you a great life. And he wants to help you get others to have that great life too. He wants us to grow and be healthy and help others do the same. Lastly... The kingdom of heaven, number four, provides hope for my life. The kingdom of heaven provides hope for my life. <coughs> Jesus came to provide hope for the hopeless. Uh, we see this over and over. He wants to take your life, and he wants to make a practical difference in it today. Jesus doesn't just want you to come here and hear a message and go home. If you're here today and you are not part of the kingdom of God, Jesus wants you to be part of the kingdom of God. All that means is you start living life where he is in charge. You make the commitment to let Jesus be king and then you invite others to hold you accountable to that commitment. That's what it means to be a disciple. Just a, Jesus is my king. He's in charge. Let him be. And he wants you to make this choice on your own, guys, and he wants to help you. He wants to help you grow and develop along the way. In Matthew 10:39, Jesus says, if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll surely find it. It's hard. When you start thinking about letting someone else be in charge, that's scary. That's hard. Guys, because there's things we take comfort in, right? Now, I've struggled with addiction in my life. I've taken comfort in all kinds of things that were really unhealthy for me. But for some reason, even when I knew something was unhealthy, I still found comfort in it just because I felt like I had control, I think. 
And I don't know why, but for me, giving up control is extremely scary. And so when I started thinking about becoming a Christian, I took that really, really serious because I didn't want to give up control to God. I struggled to do that. Everything in me wanted me to hang on. But you know, at some point, I just made a decision. You know what? Even if this is uncomfortable, I'm just going to do it because I trust God. And I have found that he is completely trustworthy. And I have learned that when God calls me to do something, even if it's really uncomfortable, he, man, he knows way better than I do. That just I've learned that, like, by making bad decisions. But if God is calling you to give up your life, and there's something in your mind right now that just comes to mind, like, I know I'm going to have to give that up, and I don't want to. See, it could be a substance. It could be a habit. It could be a relationship. It's scary to give God control. But guys, I just want to tell you, it is so worth it. Because not only do we serve a king who has all the power, we serve a king who has all the wisdom. You want to know something God can't do? Make mistakes. Now that's comforting. When God calls you to follow him and to give that up or to pick that up or whatever he's calling you to do, he always tells you what you need to hear for your good and he only calls you to do things that are for your good. So if it's uncomfortable, guess what? It's for your good. And guys, you can trust him. He is trustworthy. He is good, and he will take care of you. And you want to know what else? He didn't mean for you to do this on your own. Faith was never meant to be about you and God alone. Faith understood the way Jesus teaches it. Faith is a communal thing. Faith is, is experienced in community when it comes to the family of God. And that's what the kingdom of God is. It is a family of God. When you join Jesus and submit to him as king, you also join Jesus's family. You don't get to join by yourself. If you would prefer it that way, there's, that's not the kingdom. The kingdom is not just you and God. It's you and God's family. And God set it up that way because it is extremely important if you're going to grow and you're going to develop as Jesus wants you to, you've got to be plugged in. You've got to have people around you. And that's why the church is here. That's why the church is here to help. Just like that seed of the kingdom started out really small and then grew into something else over time, that's true for the whole community, but it's also true in your life. Whenever you come to faith, you may come to faith with a really small amount of it, right? But over time, what does God intend to happen over time? He intends for you to grow. He intends for you to develop. He intends for your faith to grow and develop. Um, if... Uh, a baby is doing something a baby does, we don't think too much about it, right? But if a 20-year-old is doing something a baby does, something's wrong. Something's wrong, and we see that. It's the same in our lives, guys. God doesn't want you just to stay static in your maturity level or your relationship with him. He wants you to come into relationship with him, and then over time, guys... God wants you to look back on your life and just be amazed at how he has taken you from point A to point B to point C to point D over time. You are not supposed to stay the same person. You are supposed to grow and develop. The only way to do that is, is in, the, in the context of community. 
It's not just you and your Bible and God. Okay, that's good. But it needs to be you and your Bible and God and your brothers and sisters. There's a communication card in your bulletin. I want to invite everybody to pull that out. Um, It's got space for you to respond. Uh, You've got one more blank on your notes, and that is this. My job is to submit to the king. In Romans uh, 12.1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says right there, give your life to God. Offer yourself as a sacrifice. That is the commitment that it starts with. And over time, God will honor that commitment by helping you become the person that he has created you to be. Our job, though, is just to submit. That really is our job. When we talk about joining the kingdom or being a kingdom person, our job is to submit to the king. And we have a good king. I'm going to go ahead and close. I do want to invite everybody to fill that card out, uh, the communication card. That's how we will follow up with you. Uh, If you're here today and you're investigating a relationship with God or you feel distant from God uh, or you just want to be closer to him, indicate on your card that you'd like a personal Bible study and we will have somebody follow up with you. If you are needing greater community or would like to check out our small group ministry, indicate that you'd like... Uh, more information about our small groups, and we'll get back with you. Uh, We've got a lot of events coming up. You can check the back of the church bulletin to kind of see what's there. Uh, We've got some Easter events coming up and some other things uh, that I won't get into right now. We'll be talking about in the coming weeks. Um, But I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing a song. During that first song, you'll have an opportunity to fill that card out. Then we'll sing one last song and pass some baskets, and you can just drop your card in that basket. Thank you guys for your attention today. Let's pray. God, as we uh, think about your kingdom and being kingdom people, uh, I pray that you will help us submit to you and honor you with with our commitment to you. Um, Lord, help us if there's anything in the way uh, of our plugging in or in the way of our making a commitment to follow you. You'll help us identify that. And God, if it's unhealthy or bad for us, help us get it out of our lives. Help us to make the connections we need to make today, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.